I don't know about you, but uh, I love that song. I, we have a couple more weeks left, so if you don't love it, I'm sorry. We're going to do it again a few more times. Man, oh man, it is great to be back with all of you. What a God-awesome morning already, right, church? Come on, come on. Again, celebrating a life surrendered by, to Jesus Christ for salvation this morning, celebrating seven people taking their next step in faith with Jesus and baptism. I could just say amen we'll call it a day. What do you think? Amen. No. <laughs> we got to talk about some Jesus work in here this morning. Come on. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online. We love the fact that you are doing that this morning. We wish you were here hanging out with us. You're missing an amazing worship service this morning. But we, I pray that uh, the God's word will open up to your heart this morning. And you'll be challenged to live differently for him. Church, we're in this week, uh, the series, week three of Fanatic. We started a series a few weeks ago. It's a series to challenge us as followers of Jesus to live our lives out loud with great passion for the one who lived his life out loud, the great passion for us. You know what I'm saying? Right? See, the gospel deserves nothing less. When we think about the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, for all mankind, it deserves nothing less than for us to live it out loud for him. I mean, think about this with me again. We've talked about this every week. We live in a world that champions this kind of crazy enthusiasm behavior about the things that we're excited about, that we're passionate about. The world expects us to be that way. And if you're here with parents, you've been to their sports games, you have acted that way. You're like, you're hooting, yelling, yelling, go, go, right? You've been a part of that process. It's absolutely fine for us to scream, and shout our faces off at the sports games or at the TV to buy the jerseys, to wear the hats. And maybe you're one of those people who paint your faces. It's the cultural norm. Go to a college game. Go to a pro game. Maybe go to some high school games. You will see some of this kind of behavior. But what about Jesus? Jesus. How do we act when it comes to a Lord and Savior? Think about this. Do we get out of our seats and praise our faces off when someone surrenders their life to Jesus Christ? Do we, get, do we get out of our seats and get all sorts of crazy and fired up when someone takes their next step with him in baptism? I mean, how, what do we do? Do we get all fired up when Jesus breaks addiction to drugs, alcohol, or pornography? What about when God steps in and heals cancer? I mean, do we get all fired up? Is there something inside of us that gets lit? You know what I'm saying? Do we just simply, do we just stop and say, well, praise the Lord. That's so wonderful. Praise the Lord. Or do we get fired up with things like that happen? It's like, come on, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. We're waiting, Jesus. We expect it, Jesus. Please, Jesus do it again. How do we act? How to respond? Where's the passion? Where's the praise? Because friends, if we are actually truly seeking Jesus, then every single day we can see the work of his hand, the glory in the lives of the people around us, and also the person looking at us in the mirror. God is working. And we need to be praising. I said last week, the world cannot deny when the Lord's work shows up on their front porch. Right? When his majesty goes, boom, how about that? 
right? The world can't deny that, and neither can we. We need to be fanatics for the one who is a fanatic for us. But right here is where the true difficulty starts. You thought that I've been pushing the envelope with you and your comfort zones about being all pumped for Jesus verbally and pumping our fists with praise. What happens when we hit the wall of rejection? What happens when we start living this way like fanatic for Jesus and we are hitting the wall of rejection? People respond to us with rejection. How do we respond to adversity that comes with being a fanatic for Jesus? Jesus was pretty clear that following him would lead us to the best possible life with him right now and forever, but he is also very clear that it will bring hardships. Paul says in the book of Philippians that it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Jesus said we are blessed for it. Look at this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 on the screen, right? Look at what it says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely in all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad this great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. So when I say adversity, I'm not talking about a, a, a hard day at work. I'm not talking about your car breaking down or your kid not making the team. Yes, those things are adverse in our lives, but following Jesus takes adversity to a whole new level, friends, next level faithfulness, and we need to embrace it simply because of what it means in our lives to those who are watching. You get me on that? All right, let's get into this. Open your Bibles, you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, we're starting at verse 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. In chapter 10, as we get through this morning, Jesus is sending out the 12 on their first missions journey, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He says, okay, you guys are going to go. You guys are going to go, and the kingdom of God is near. This is what you want to tell them. In fact, just before chapter 10, we get there, uh, it says in chapter 9, verse 37, it says this on the screen. It says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord to harvest, therefore, send out the workers into the field. He was setting the stage for what he was going to do with his followers. There were people that were ready. There were people that needed to be reached. And there were people that if they heard the truth, the kingdom would be adding rooms. You know what I'm saying? The problem was, the workers were few. He sends them out. He gives them some basic instructions before they go out, do these things, don't do these things. But then he throws down some eye-opening words that if, would make most disciples exit stage right, walk away. Look what he says in verse 16. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, as be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard, or you'll be hand, and you'll be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before the governors and the kings, the witnesses to them, to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what they say or, or how they say it. At that time, how you say it, but that time you'll be given what to say. For I will not... 
for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Amen. Let's just stop right there. When we're talking about being a fanatic, we're talking about embracing adversity. A fanatic, this is point number one, a fanatic knows adversity is coming. A fanatic knows adversity is coming. We know it's coming because Jesus told us it was coming. Jesus' disciples were walking into these Jewish towns. They were proclaiming the truth of Jesus that no one was wanting it or having it. I mean, think about the imagery that he used. He says, you're going to be like sheep to wolves. I don't know about you, but I don't think a sheep stands a chance against a wolf. Head to head, the sheep's going down. You know what I'm saying? You with me on that? What I'm asking you, he says, what he's asking you to do is highly important. I'm sending you out because people need to hear the message. As it's highly important, it's extremely dangerous. And what you are called to do in following me, do not take it lightly. So he tells them to be smart in what they do. To be pure in everything they do. Be on guard because adversity is coming. And then he told them they would be arrested and and flogged. Now listen, flogging wasn't something to brag about in life or look forward to. You you weren't putting on your calendar to happen next week. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, hey, I'm going to get flogged next week. Flogging was horrible. What they would do is they would tie you up with your hands pulled apart. They'd rip off your upper part of your clothes so you were bare from your waist up. And then they'd take a calfskin and braid it together into this whip and they'd start smacking your body. Smacking your body over and over and over again. In fact, they would do it 39 times. Why 39? Because they thought 40 would kill you. They would do a third in the front and two-thirds in the back. It was a gruesome, bloody, pain-filled punishment. Who in the right mind would want that? Why would anyone look forward to a flogging? The answer is simple. Jesus. Jesus told them that it was coming. In fact, last week we talked about two guys, Peter and John, how they stood in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, right? And they said, listen, we're not going to stop talking about Jesus, we're going to honor God over man. Well, they went out and they did just that. They kept preaching. All the apostles kept on preaching the good news of the risen Christ in Acts chapter 5. They were arrested again. The religious leaders were angry again. And eventually these guys were released again. But something took place that was something more. Look at this on the screen, Acts 5, starting at verse 40. They called the apostles in And had them, what? Flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. Verse 42, day by day, day after day, in the temple courts, From house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. What? 
Wait a second, wait a second. They rejoiced because they were almost beaten to death? They rejoiced because they took a licking on their body that would take months to heal and they'd have permanent scars on their bodies? They rejoiced at that thought of worthy of suffering? Crazy. Let me just ask you, have you ever rejoiced in your suffering and living for Jesus? Have you ever stopped and praised him for being rejected, shunned at school or at work, made fun of because you're a fanatic for him? Have you ever stopped and thought of being worthy of suffering for Jesus Christ? My guess is no. That you, me, and everyone in this room would probably say absolutely not. And if anyone would say yes, they have gone and lost their minds, right? You know, this past week in small group, we talked and walked through some of the greatest obstacles there is in front of us for following Jesus or being a fanatic for Jesus. And this, here's a quick list of them. We said ourselves that we get in our own way. Fear, distraction, rejection, controversy, spiritual warfare, lack of commitment on our part, frustration that we're not seeing any, uh, any fruits, safety, we're fear for our safety. I mean, all these are absolutely real and true obstacles that stop us. And so we stopped and prayed through them. We said, Jesus, will you show us how to get down the other side of them because we know how we need to live for you. But you know what wasn't said? You know what wasn't thing that I heard? Flogging. Imprisonment. Death. We don't fear those things. Those are things that we're not faced with in our own country. Fanatics knows adversity is coming because Jesus said it was. And then, when it comes, we embrace it. That's point number two. A fanatic embraces adversity when it comes. A fanatic embraces adversity when it comes. Look at back in verse 18. He says, On my account you will be brought before the governors and the kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it is not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Stop there again. We embrace it when it comes because we know that we're not alone in it. That God is present through our suffering for him. He is always present. He's omnipresent. I mean, he is fully present everywhere, every place at once. He meets our every need. His, spar- his spirit within us empowers us to raise through and push through the hardship. We embrace it because we know what adversity in our life means. It means we're actually living our lives out loud for Jesus. We're standing out for the one who stood out for us. See, I think the, the struggle that we have in the 21st century Christians 
is that we're not used to following Jesus costing us, let's be honest, anything. There's no way we can compare or deal with what they're dealing with in the first century. There's no way we can we compare to that what's happening in our country right now. I mean, what these dudes were facing, what they walked through, and what they gave their lives to, it doesn't happen in our country. By the way, it's happening in other countries. Other countries right now across the world, to be a follower of Jesus means death. To have scripture means death. We don't face that. Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan, if you want to be convicted, read that book. Um, he's true and he's right, but it's harsh to hear. This is what he says. Following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus always costs something. I would add to this, I would say like this, if, if following Jesus doesn't cost us anything, I would question this, are we really following Jesus? If your faith and walk with Jesus Christ isn't costing you something, are you truly following? Are you hiding in the closet over here saying, I'm a, I'm a faithful follower of Jesus here in the closet? Or are you standing out loud because the people who are hiding their faith, not pushing the envelope and proclaiming the faith, they're not going to face that adversity from this country or this world. The people who are standing out publicly proclaiming that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You need to surrender your life to him. You need to make him the Lord of your life and follow him. Those are the ones are going to face adversity. Jesus continues to tell them what it will be like walking this truth. Look at this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. Brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Whoa. How do you respond to Jesus' words? See, following Jesus will divide families. Following Jesus will divide friendships. Following Jesus may bring some hatred into your life. And as I look across the room, I'm sure that some of you experienced that. That you weren't brought into the friend crowd because you followed Jesus. Or you didn't follow Jesus and you gave your life to Jesus Christ and then, and then you were pushed out because you were a follower of Jesus. Maybe you have some family members when you get together for those big holidays or those times that like to push your buttons, right? They make you feel like you don't belong because you follow Jesus. Family members living at a distance, keeping you at an arm's length because you follow Jesus. I am sure some of you have experienced that in this room. I know I have. Friends who I no longer talk to because Rich is that crazy pastor. He loves Jesus. In fact, I, had, I was, went back to my hometown a couple years ago, and I was walking up my old street, walking by our old house, and a mom of a, a daughter that I used to know, and she, I graduated with, drove by me, and she stopped, and she pulled, rolled down the window and waved and said, hey, how are you doing? 
And I said, well, where's, where are they? They're, I know they're hanging out somewhere. And, and she mentioned this other girl that was hanging out with her daughter. And she goes, well, you know, she found Jesus. She all, she's all religious freak now, so I don't know about that. What? I, I looked at her. I said, Amen. So you know, <laughs> Oh my word. Friends, truly following Jesus, living our lives out loud, fanatic in him, can be crazy hard. It will lead us to tough situations in life at work, students at school. But what we receive what we receive in Jesus? Come on. New family? New friendships? Everlasting life? Let's talk about that one. And those that don't stand for him that Jesus is kind of referring to there, that he's talking about, those are fans. Fans never truly followed him. And when things became tough, they walked away. They enjoyed the benefits of being near Jesus. When things got tough, they walked away. And unfortunately, we've probably seen that in our life too. Over the years, I've seen people who come to me and they say a prayer, thinking that Jesus is a genie in a bottle, that he has all the quick fix, all the fix that are going on in life. But when the problems still exist or things get rough, they hand in their Jesus jersey for another team. That's not a follower, that is a fan. That is not salvation that is proclaimed in Scripture. In fact, in 1 John, it talks about those who walk away were never with him really anyways. See, I think America is plagued by a false gospel. The American church is plagued by a false gospel, a gospel of a sinner's prayer, and go live a life like you've always lived your life. A gospel of happiness. A gospel of prosperity. A gospel of easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Not the gospel of scripture. The gospel of scripture is a life of self-abandonment. That the core of our lives are no longer us but him. It's the gospel of a testimony, of a life changed. It's the gospel of spiritual fruit. If there's no fruit, I mean, there's no root. Read John 15. Listen, listen. Don't take my word for it, okay? Let's listen to Jesus. Can we listen to Jesus this morning? I mean, in a few chapters, he throws some things down. If it's Jesus we're following, then I believe it's Jesus who sets the standard. Yes? yes. Amen? All right, look at Matthew chapter 16. Look what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. The true gospel of Jesus Christ, friends, costs us. In fact, if you were to pick up this word and read it, church, read, read your Bibles. 
Over and over again, you see there's a cost for following God. Abram was sent into an unknown land. King David was living a life on the run for decades. People were trying to kill this guy. Paul was in prison for his faith. Stephen was stoned to death for his faith. And the early church fathers says that Peter was crucified for his faith. In fact, in fact, they, Peter says, I want to be crucified upside down because I don't consider worthy to be dying the same death as my Lord and Savior. There is a cost for following Jesus. What is your faith costing you? Is it costing you anything? A disciple is a student of their teacher. That's what rabbi is, is a teacher. They learned from them. They obeyed them. And for Jesus to say, deny yourself and pick up your cross, that was a hard truth. It's a hard word. See, the cross for us is an image of hope and new life. A cross for these Jewish followers was a symbol of cruelty and death and control. See, the Roman government would crucify people as a way to strike fear into them. You want to go against our rule, this is what we're going to do to you. The Romans would have crucified them in a way to control these Jewish people. So when Jesus was telling them and telling us that we need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him, he's telling us to deny how we want to live, deny our personal desires, and pick up the adversity of following him and live it with great praise. Can someone just say amen? That's a fanatic, friends. We don't carry like, come on, I'm with my Jesus. When things get tough, we're like, whoopsies. Pick up your cross. Know what it truly means to follow me. Let me continue reading verse 24. It said, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a student to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more are the members of his household? <laughs> See, when there's adversity in our lives, we know it's coming. We expect it. We embrace it. And when we do and live through it, Man, point number three, a fanatic knows adversities makes us more like Jesus himself. If Jesus experienced hardship and rejection, his followers are going to experience hardship and rejection. He uses the example of the student and, and his servant not being above, but equal to the teacher and the master. They are equal to it, meaning they're on the same playing field. What he experienced, we can experience. But then he throws down some things that are pretty concerning. Jesus, the head of the church, is called Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub is a Jewish way. That what they did is they took two different names of heathen deities of the time, and it can be either interpreted Lord of the Flies or Lord of Dung. <laughs> 
And they took that translation, they put these things together and applied to evil beings. And then eventually started applying it to the worst father of lies himself, Satan. And so what they did is they, the Jewish people applied the name of Jesus as the Lord of darkness. Jesus saying then his enemies would not only have rejected him and his teaching, had identified him as a leader of the forces of evil. Can we talk about missing it? Read the book of John. It's all about Jesus being the light of the world. And now they're saying, look, look, no, he's the king of darkness. What? How, how do you go from who he truly is to the worst possible person? Well, so what Jesus was saying, that we're going to experience it. We're going to experience adversity. We're going to experience the evil in this world as we stand and proclaim our lives with him. We're in a spiritual warfare. It's all around us, happening right now. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? See, in John 15, verses 18 through 19, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hates me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but have, I have chosen you out of this world. So we're standing here this morning, sitting here this morning, we have a decision to make. Jesus says, right, in this world you will face trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. He's talking to you, to me. He's brought us out of this world into the kingdom of the Son he loves. This is who we belong with. This is who we walk with. This is who we're going to spend eternity with. Will we stand as a fanatic or face diversity or not? Will we pick up our cross, carry it through the hardship or not. The choice is yours. What I find really interesting in the beginning of what we read this morning, Jesus said, I am sending you. Friends, Jesus knew what he's doing. He knew what he's doing with the 12. He knew what he was doing with the 72 later. And he knows what he's doing with the church. He says, I am sending you. And what he desires is the workers to be no longer few, but to be many. He desires for the church to stand in the gap from a life without Jesus to a life with Jesus and proclaim it. That he desires a church that will rise above the adversity that we face in this world. Will you answer the call? See, Jesus is sending you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for, <laughs> we thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for not hiding us from the truth, shielding us, but being absolutely open and honest what it means to follow you and how we are, well, things we'll face when we do. 
thank you for showing us the way to get through it. Knowing that we don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the strength of Jesus Christ. We don't stand alone. We stand in the presence of a mighty God. So Lord, as I think about facing adversity and how we're going to walk out those doors and, and, and walk right into life, will you empower your church to rise up? Will you empower your church to answer the call? Will you empower your church to take a step through adversity carrying the cross? Do not believe in a, a watered-down false gospel that's happening in America, but believe in what it means to truly follow you. Your gospel deserves nothing less. The cost of your son deserves nothing less. You know, right now I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. And maybe this morning you are struggling. You're struggling in your walk. You're struggling walking through adversity. And then you need your, your family to lift you up in prayer, lift you up to the one who loves you the most. I believe it happens that where someone says something to us while we're in public, someone says something to us while we're in a hallway or in a class or at a game or a function, and just makes us, it pushes us back. That you need the strength of your family lifting you up in prayer. I, I encourage you to come forward after service and be prayed over and prayed with. Share the truth, what you're struggling with. Share the, share the, the part of your life where you're like, I can't be a fanatic because I'm dealing with this. Help me get past it. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you've been hearing a lot about Jesus. You're invited because of Baptism Sunday and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's the first step to become a fanatic. Because that's what the world will say you are when you do. You are crazy out of your mind for surrendering your life for a God who is invisible. But we believe in what Scripture says that Jesus is alive and he died for your sins. And if that's you this morning, after I say amen, come forward and talk to our prayer team. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ and become a fanatic for him because he was simply a fanatic for you. God, you get all the glory. I say it again. Thank you for giving us front row seats to your majesty of watching you, you work. We love you. We worship you in your son's name. Amen. God bless church. Have an amazing week.